Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. WTIC News Talk 1080, Will Marotti Show. Will Marotti, your host, Matt Sorois at the Master Control Panel. And I hope you had a good weekend. We certainly did. We had a great uh, great time this weekend. Uh, sad time, but a great time in some ways. I'll explain that later. Uh, I heard you guys talk in concerts, Matt, you and uh, Brian. And uh, I'll just say this. The concert that I probably remember most, although it wasn't my first concert, uh, 1978 South Philly RFK, the old RFK stadium. And, uh, the, the, the feature was the Rolling Stones. One of the first time they had come back to play in the United States. So it had been after a long absence in the U S and, uh, the warm up band, I recall got booed off the stage. It was a little tiny unknown band called foreigner. And they just, man, the fans were savage. They wanted stones, and that's all they wanted. And uh, hard to believe a group that, you know, was as, as accomplished as Foreigner became could have got ever booed off the stage. But it was, it was, <laughs> and then and some idiot threw M80s on the stage, blew up next to Keith Richards, and, and that was it. They went off the stage, and all you heard was a helicopter. <laughs> it was a short run. It was a short run, but that's... Uh, that's the only. Uh, that's probably the most pr- pronounced con- uh, concert story I can I can recall. Um, gosh, talk about pain and tragedy yesterday in the Bronx. Saying it's the worst uh, worst apartment fire in, in thirty years. Uh, Nineteen killed. Nine of those children, teens. Um, gosh. Life is so fragile, you know. I mean, it, it, Matt and I were talking this before we went on with the uh, the hockey player who who, who died. Um, who who would have thought that, right? There's so many ways to get hurt in hockey. How how, how could who could have possibly imagined that that would have been um, that would have been the way? I mean, it just, it's just, it's beyond it, it's almost beyond belief to think of it, right? But stuff happens, and and I'll tell you what I think it, it really speaks to. It speaks to the fact that that life is very fragile and sometimes uh it's brief you know um i don't think uh, uh teddy uh teddy belkin i don't think he 
um, ever imagined or his family ever imagined that would be his last day, right? I mean, no one would think of that. But, you know, people are still struggling with COVID and, and, and problems with health conditions just and, and, and beyond COVID. I mean, there's still many people struggling with cancer in the world. I mean, COVID's not the only problem we've got in the world when it comes to health issues. And, uh, you know, just uh, got a call last night from some some of my family, someone someone passed a cancer. Um, there's a lot of heartache in the world. You know, there's a lot of good things going on, but there's a lot of a lot of questionable things going on, which we're going to talk about today. But there's also a lot of uh, a lot of heartache and a lot of a lot of pain going on in the world, and, and we need to recognize that. And so I think uh, here we are coming up on 9/11. I think it's a good time to take a moment and pray, at least for folks that are really desperate right now. Let's let's pray together, shall we? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we thank you for another day of life. Thank you for another day to be able to go. Uh, move about and do the things that we want to do and, and like to do. We're grateful for that. We overlook that sometimes. You wake us up without jumper cables. We just somehow wake up in the morning and, and get to our things. But we do want to pray for the folks, uh, the folks that lost loved ones in New York, uh, folks that are were injured and in the hospital. We pray for them for recovery, comfort, 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 Lord, for the families of those that lost their loved ones. Thanksgiving and praise for the first responders, the firefighters in New York City who just uh, day after day, like all firefighters, just courageously get the job done. We're grateful for those folks. <clears throat> Continue to pray for this family of this young man, uh, Teddy, who was killed in a hockey game. Horrific, uh, <clears throat> unexpected accident. Pray for all those that are still sick, struggling with COVID, battling cancer, all kinds of illnesses. Thank you for our, our Healthcare providers, our nurses, our doctors, uh, those that are going extra, doing extra shifts and going the extra mile to try to keep people healthy. And all of our first responders, police and included. And so we thank you, God. We thank you for today. Help us to be mindful of the fact, folks around us that are, have less than we have, that are going through difficult times. Let us uh, always be ready to share a kind word or a kind deed with those folks. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Going to get amen out there. 800-966-9842-860-522-9842. So this is the, uh, the, st the start of the second week of the Will Marotti Show. And here's, here's what I want you to do. We, I, want, I, want, I think we can make this show number one, and I'll tell you why. Not for the reason you think. I think we can make this show number one. It'll take all of us working together and all of you who like the program to call your, your friends, your relatives, associates, neighbors, text, email, messenger, however you communicate with them, and ask them to uh, give, a, give a listen to the program. Download the Odyssey app on their phone, iPhone or, or Android. They can listen from anywhere, or WTIC.com, listen from anywhere where the Internet is, is, is available to them on their phone. What, ask them to give it a try. Give it a try. Give it this show a try, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Not, not just so we can say, oh, we're number one, we're number one. Because I want to be able to stand up in Connecticut and say, listen, there's a lot more common sense conservatives, libertarians out there than you might imagine here in Connecticut. There's still, there's still a significant number of us left, and our voice will be heard. 
We will make a difference. That's why I want this show to be number one. And if we get to be number one, I don't know, like I talked about chokingly, but a few of you said we wanted to do this, right? So we'll get a banner made. We'll get a banner show made number one, and we'll go on a tour. We'll have the banner signed, and then we'll have a luncheon somewhere. We'll hang the banner up. We'll have some fun with it. We can do it. We can do it. So I want I just ask for your help, please, to uh, call your friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors, and spread the word. Spread the word uh, near and far. <laughs> Will Marathi shows back. And, uh, and we'd love to have, uh, have all these folks listening and tuning in. 800-966-9842-860-522-9842. A lot to talk about today. We've got a lot of stories. Uh, I, I just would say in, in the case of um, <clears throat> the Supreme Court, um, I don't know, but I think if I was going to be listening, if I was on the Supreme Court and I was going to listen to a a case involving something as important and and stand out as whether or not vaccinations should be made mandatory in the United States of America in, in large companies and for all government employees, which is there's a lot of government employees. I would try to be accurate with my figures. I would try to I would try to make sure what I was saying was I do that, I'm a radio talk show host, right? I still I'm not a Supreme Court justice. I still want to try to make sure everything I'm saying is as accurate as possible. If I'm wrong, I'll, I'll come back and apologize and correct it. But this is a Supreme Court justice of the United States, the highest court in the land, arguably the highest court in the world, really. And so this, uh, this justice, Sonia Sotomayor, says Friday that there are over 100,000 kids in serious condition, and many, many on ventilators as a result of the Omicron virus. Well, unfortunately for her, that was not true. And uh, Brett Bear, Fox News, was interviewing Dr. Rochelle Walensky, the director of CDC, and, and challenged her with that point. And Walensky dodged it, but she admitted it was wrong. Now there's about 3,500. It's a lot. It's a lot. 3,500 kids in the hospital, but there's not 100,000. And there's not kids on ventilators like this. I mean, th- this, is, this is the problem. You have even the court, the highest court in the land, is being completely influenced by improper pol- politics. I'm sure her staff gave her that information. Her, her clerks gave her that information. You know what? It's wrong. And then I would say, are you not smart enough as a Supreme Court justice to question something like that? Doesn't that seem... When we've been told and we know, yes, cases with pediatric cases are up. Yes, that's true. But we know that the kids are the least affected segment of the population, have been from the first moment COVID made, uh, made landfall here in the United States. Don't you think you'd have enough common sense to question that number and at least double check it before you go off on your, on your soapbox? And I mean, it's just, come on. Come on. This is, this is how bad this is. But there's, there's some good things. There's some good news coming about COVID. There's some good news coming about, about how we're treating COVID. Uh, <laughs> it's um, fascinating to me that sometimes the people that fought the most against it, and I, and I say most against what? Most against the kind of therapeutic drugs that are, that are working uh, are now starting to kind of crack a little bit and admit that that's the way to do it. South African study talks about the fact that uh, this Omicron moves at unprecedented speed, causing a much milder illness than earlier strains. 
If the pattern continues and is repeated globally, we are likely to see a complete decoupling of cases and death rates. And and that was always the case. It was always the case. Look at the hospitalizations and look at the death rates. When those things are falling, you know you're in good shape. Don't, the cases could be rising, could be rising, but that's not the indicator. The indicator is hospitalization and deaths. And so the current, the current study coming out of South Africa is far milder conditions, and we still get natural immunity. And I've got a story that I'm going to share a little bit talking about now people are starting to say, oh, maybe natural immunity is important. Maybe that's why people aren't getting it. They're talking about a story out in Florida where the death rate is so low, I can't believe it. Second high, second lowest in the country, only after. Can you imagine what state that is, is the lowest in the United States for death rate of COVID? Where do you think that is? Where do you think that is? 800-966-9842, 860-522-9842. Where do you think the lowest death rate for COVID in the United States of America is? Hmm. Well, Florida's number two. Well, how is that possible? How is that possible? Horrible Florida, horrible Ron DeSantis. He's a, he's, a, he's a horrible governor, doesn't care about people, but yet they have the second lowest death rate in the country. Hmm. How is that possible? you got to ask yourself the question. Because all you hear is how horrible, how horrible Florida is, how badly they've handled the, the epidemic and how uh, they don't care about people and they don't care about the health and welfare of people and on and on and on it goes, right? Well, not, not true at all. Not true at all. In fact, Florida's handled it probably as good as anybody has. And um, that's why we can say now what second lowest death rate. And people are starting, and there's a study being done. This is so exciting. There's a study being done at Johns Hopkins, some little off school that most people have not heard of. John Hopkins University doing a, a, an independent study funded by private dollars on the efficacy of natural immunity. And when that study comes out in a couple of months, it, I believe, prediction, can't tell you this for sure, I believe it's going to blow the doors off of the conventional wisdom that we've been hearing about COVID. Blow the doors off. And I'll share the story later why uh, people are more more alert and more attuned with natural immunity than they've been in a long time. All right, let's take a quick break. We come back. We will take your calls. Open phone lines, 800-966-9842-860-522-9842. Give us a call. Will Marotti, it's Monday morning. We're getting off to a great second week here. Stay with us. Call your friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors, and ask them to join in on the fun. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back, 922. This is from MSN.com. COVID cases are skyrocketing. What Florida is experiencing one of the worst waves of Omicron in the United States, yet their death rate is the second lowest in the country, only after blank. What's going on? Can't imagine. Can't imagine what's happening. Florida is so horrible. They're such horrible people, and yet... Now, what, what could be possible? What could be doing this? Well, perhaps, perhaps Florida, <laughs> perhaps Florida's low death rate is explained by its acquired resistance, acquired resistance. What is, is it? That's, that's code for natural immunity. 
acquired resistance and vaccination rates may have been buffering at the state at the time when other states were contending with two other variants. So what they're what are they saying? They're saying in that one sentence, that first opening sentence, they're saying it, it is because of natural immunity and high vaccination rates in Florida that they have the second lowest death rate in the country. Who has the lowest death rate in the country? Let's go to Tom. Tom, welcome to the show. What's on your mind? Tom, are you there? Yes, I am. Alaska? Alaska, yes. You're the winner. Alaska has the lowest death rate in the country. Well, uh, two things. One is there's a new variant right now that they found in Cyprus. It's a combination of the Omicron and the Mm -hmm. Delta. Mm -hmm. And they're worried about that. So that's the new thing. But what I wanted to talk about today, if I may, is what what Governor Lamont and his um, Department of Health have decided to do. And they didn't learn the last time from either what they did to seniors or what happened in New York. They now are going to require nursing homes to take in positive patients again. Yeah. Well, let me just one one caveat there. It's not. It's it's a it's a, an ask. It's not yet a requirement, but they're asking. Well, they nursing started homes. on Thursday. They shouldn't even be asking that now. No, that, no, they shouldn't. And, and to your point, we didn't we didn't kill enough seniors the first time around. We didn't so, learn a lesson. You know, what's even worse is not this was this this went into effect last Thursday. We have not heard one mention of this in the Connecticut media. Nothing on the Sunday shows, nothing at all. And this is really pretty bad now. We're going to now explode this into nursing homes again. And I think this time there should be some type of legal ramification that people who do catch this and die, their families should be able to now sue Governor Lomont, and the state of Connecticut, because we've done this once and we've seen what happened. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is this is. Now, I will tell you that there are websites that are reporting this story. Uh, I know CT Mirror has reported this story. It's it's made the Hill. The Hill's reporting the story. So there's some there's some uh, outlets reporting it. But to your point, crickets crickets for the Connecticut media. And it's really bad. One other thing I want to say is, again, I know I've said this to you before. You're the type of friend that person wants to have, and you've demonstrated that with Governor Rowan. You've been his friend through good times and the bad times, and you stuck with him. And that is something I may not always agree with you, but I do respect you for that. And Mr. Rowan is very lucky to have a friend like you. Well, well, don't you think that's how friends should be, Tom? Right? Don't oh, you yeah, think, but uh, a friend way. is a friend who's with you no matter what, right? And a friend isn't just a friend when things are good. A friend is there all the time. Yep. And, and we're and lucky. If you have two or three of those in your life, you're blessed. I'll tell you that right now. And that's a, you're a good man on that. And well, before thank, I forget one you. thing else, um, you know that mask mandate that's going on in New yeah. uh, Hartford? Can I, um, I'm sorry, in West Hartford. And I was disappointed today that uh, Brian did not ask the mayor uh, what CNN said, that there are only, and you and I have talked about this before you left, mm-hmm. there's only three masks that work, and they're not mm-hmm. the surgical mask, and they're not the... Uh, um, uh, cloth mask, they're right. the N95, That's N99s, yeah. or KN95. And you brought that to and my attention a long time ago, and I appreciate that. Yeah, and why? And why? Why are we doing a mask mandate with masks that don't work? Is it well, just to again, make it feel I, I, good, or you got to you got to get to the motivation, Tom? You got to get to the motivation, and that's what people weren't talking about, and that's why that's why our government, CDC, will not do a study 
on natural immunity because if they do it, it's going to blow up the narrative. And and I hope Johns Hopkins is doing the study right now with private funding, and I hope they're going to Well, I wish that we would have had the best people in the world doing this, or in the United States. You know, people from Hopkins, MD yeah, Anderson, yeah. Uh, Brigham's, and the mm-hmm. Mayo, they should have been setting policy, not some guy like Dr. Fossey who, who um, controls mm-hmm. all the money that goes out for research and everything else. It you, should you, not have. It's gotten so political. You were wise, again, Tom. I'm glad to you have were, you back. It was nice. I'm nice listening to you, and thank you for your time. You're a wise man. Thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate you. All right, we're going to take a break, uh, head into the, uh, some commercials, the news. And speaking of, uh, our next guest, 935, former governor of the state of Connecticut, John Rowland, will be my guest. We're going to talk a little bit about the uh, emergency power deal and the General Assembly coming back and uh, all things Connecticut when we get, get back from the break after commercials and some news. And uh, John Rowland will be my guest. This is the Will Marotti Show on WTIC News Talk 1080. Thirty-six WTIC News Talk. You know, uh, it was it was March of 2020 when uh, Governor Lamont assumed emergency powers, and since then there's been six extensions of that declaration, and uh, his current extension lasts through mid-February. Um, unprecedented. We've never seen anything like it. We've never lived through anything like it. Does it does it ever go back to how it used to be, where there's, you know, there's a governor making decisions and there's a a, a, a legislature making decisions? I mean, how is that ever going to work? Joining me now on the hotline, former governor, elected three time governor, former congressman, state of Connecticut, John Rowland. Good morning, Good morning Pastor Will. How are you? How are you? Good. You feeling all right? Feeling well? Yeah. Good. Definitely. All right. Um, so emergency powers. Emergency powers. This has never happened before, right? Ever? Well, well, there's been some instances over the years, but frankly, um, you know, usually when there's natural disasters, we have, you know, hurricanes and sure. storms and so forth, and that's very, very short term. What bothers me is that I don't, it doesn't feel like the government, the state government, the legislature, the governor, is treating this as a true emergency, even as we speak. Mm. Uh, and the irony is that things are probably worse now with the pandemic than they were a year ago or two years ago. Mm. So it, it, you know, I know you and I chatted offline and talked about, you know, what are the Republicans going to do? And they're going to, you know, are going to get rid of the emergency powers. I would suggest two things. One is Republicans have to get in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it's a game or not that it's political, but if they want to be relevant, they should be engaged in some of the solutions that are being offered. Because right now, some of these solutions beg common sense. They they don't make any sense. I, I read today or yesterday that now we're talking about sending patients to the nursing homes. Yeah. That's Maybe a crazy idea. The last um, and <clears throat> what, I, what I really don't get, and we talked about this last week, and this is the second point, they have all this federal money. For COVID, and I don't know what the the remaining amount is. I think it's seventy four million dollars. And Governor Lamont proposed, well, <clears throat> we're just going to give that to low income families. We'll just send out checks. Mm-hmm. And Republicans' response was, no, let's not do that. Let's cut the sales tax by you know, a fraction of a percent. Yeah. And I'm scratching my head, thinking, wait a minute, people are dying. 
the uh, the the pandemic is is getting worse. It's, it's it hasn't even peaked yet. It's going to peak probably in the next weeks or months. Hospitals are overwhelmed. Why are we trying to figure out other ways to spend the federal COVID money? So, my suggestion, frankly, is that we need to to get into these hospitals and healthcare facilities and encourage the workers. One of the things I found out, Will, is that what we all know um, is that a lot of healthcare workers have quit. Yeah, hundreds, maybe yeah. probably thousands. Yeah. I think there's sure. thousands of healthcare workers that have had it. They're burned out. They've gone home. So take that $74 million and say, you know what, we're going to do signing bonuses. Any healthcare worker with an initial after their name, $2,500. Yeah, signing yeah. bonus, come back to work. The people that are already there, mm-hmm. let's give them, you know, double whatever, you know, hazard pay they're getting or whatever overtime they're getting mm-hmm. um, because they're, they're strained at this point. But we have to get more of our healthcare professionals back in the market. That's the issue. That's the shortage. It's not necessarily beds, it's, it's bodies. Um, and I think we have to give them incentives and use that $74 million. And so, you know, whatever yeah, so, the numbers are, let me ask you, a question. you so, get $2,500 signing bonus or double the pay for overtime, whatever it might be, that has to be done to, to stabilize the healthcare community. Because right now, we're, we're going to be overwhelmed in the next three to four weeks. So re- Republicans want to cut the tax rate like 0.3%. Three and a half, not even a full percent, a point point three five percent. They want to cut it, right? Which is pennies, pennies. Why? Why is something like that, even to Republicans, potentially more attractive than giving signing bonuses for healthcare workers? Well, it's cutting the sales tax by that percentage is insignificant, and it's kind of like the one of the things I find Republicans in Washington and here in Connecticut. They tried to out-Democrat the Democrats, and it's, <laughs> they propose an idea, well, let's see if we can you know, do a Democrat-light solution. Yeah. Um, and, and you know and I know, with the cost of gasoline and everything else and the cost of living, marginally cutting the sales tax will do nothing for the economy, will do nothing for people's pocketbooks. <clears throat> but I sure heck am concerned if I think COVID patients are being moved into to nursing homes. I mean, that's going to affect the quality of life for people in our community. So, and again... You know, from an emergency power standpoint, this is money dedicated to COVID. Yes. And we have both Republicans and the governor trying to manipulate this money for political purposes. Yeah. I mean, th- that's where I'm coming from, is that I-, I don't think people want any political maneuvering going on. They don't want to see Democrats or Republicans trying to uh, out, you know, outspend or out-tax cut each other. It-, mm-hmm. it doesn't fly. And just sending checks out to low-income earners is not is not a good solution we have an, ep- an epidemic we have uh, an emergency and I, don't, I just don't think anybody's treating it that way in the legislature mm-hmm. and i think republicans you know my sense is they're like you know almost like deer you know in the headlights they, mm-hmm. they don't know what to do they're kind of frozen they've not been in the game for two years i haven't heard a covid proposal or idea suggestion from the republicans yet and it shouldn't be partisan but if they want to complain about the emergency powers they ought to step forward with some solutions and some ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some of these, are, and, and by the way, if if it's a shortage of beds <clears throat> or a shortage of space, we could use the state armories. There's state armories all over the state. Um, there's hotels you could use. But you know, sending patients uh, into nursing homes is a crazy. Oh, by the way, they've got shortages there as well. Yeah. So sure that exposes the most fragile people in our community to COVID patients. We learned in New York that that was a really bad idea. So I, I think that <laughs> if Republicans want to be relevant, 
they ought to jump in and propose an idea, ideas, whether it's supplemental pay, whether it's signing bonuses, whether it's some incentives to hospitals to get more of these workers back into the hospitals. That's the crisis we're facing, and it's right in front of us now, and it's not going away. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I wonder, this, this extended period of emergency power, it's almost two years now, um, the legislators, I think, and I've heard this from, from people saying, legislators, that part of it is, um, you know, all the responsibility is on the governor. So if something good happens, they can take credit for it. If something bad happens, they can distance themselves. And so, well, I was a governor. You know, we weren't. We're... At some point, I think, at some point, this emergency power thing has to run out of, out of, out of steam, and the legislature has to go back to work. Now, they're supposed to be going into sessions, short session this year, supposed to be going back here pretty quick. Um, how, how does that transition, what does that look like? Of, how does that, here's a, a legislature that has, has basically abdicated its position for two years, and you've got now the governor hopefully stepping back from, from his supreme commander position. Um, how, how is that transition going to work? How, what's that going to look like, do you suppose? Well, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think you're going to see emergency powers being given up by the governor or the legislature taking them away anytime soon because we're into the second phase, this this second hurdle that we're we're facing in the pandemic. So my guess is that you're going to see this extended. I I don't even know what the date is now, but at least another six months. And and, and the truth is that Republicans Mm. are kind of afraid to really get too engaged. Frankly, the Biden administration is totally asleep at the switch. Can you imagine if Donald Trump had this shortage of, of, um, of testing kits out there and testing facilities? I mean, <clears throat> there would be people, you know, hanging from the Capitol. So my prediction is that you're going to see these emergency powers extended uh, until people have a sense that it's over. Um, but I, I think that the solutions coming from Washington and from Hartford are, are, are short uh, – yeah. Very short to resolving the problem. So I know that Republicans will want to focus on the budget. We're coming into that season. We're going to be opening up the legislature. But people cannot focus on other economic issues until they feel safe, until they feel that the hospitals are back on their feet, until the nursing homes are protected, and that people uh, feel safe enough to go back to work. So do you do you think that it's possible this could this could go all the way to the election? Six more months, well, which is what, in August. I mean, I mean, I know the governor's got good approval ratings for his handling of COVID, which I'm not sure why, because I don't think I don't, I don't think he's done a particularly good job. But that's just me. Well, we're heading in. Obviously, we're heading into the not only the legislative session, legislative season, uh, but we're also heading into the political season. Mm-hmm. Now, Republican strategy may be, hey, let's just step back and and let let the let the governor fail. Uh, or let his policies fail, or just let things get worse, and we won't own it, we won't have our fingerprints on it. That might be their strategy. It seems like it is, uh, but I think it's a bad strategy. I think people want to see politicians, Republicans, Democrats, whether they're in the executive branch, legislative branch, doing something, and, and not just passing laws or you know, kind of dancing around the issues. Something you know, At least with Trump, when, when the pandemic hit, whatever, two years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was opening up the Javits Center. He was sure. sending out equipment to hospitals, you know, that they probably the still have ship, The mercy ship, uh, I mean, yeah. You know, rolling in ships and boats and emergency right. facilities right. and 
and, and banging heads with the FDA and um, just really, really engaged. And, and I think that's what the people of the state of Connecticut want to see as well. Well, I, I just don't know how – how do you campaign? I mean, if you're – Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter. How do you campaign if you haven't done anything for two years? Well, it, <laughs> it's, it's the path of least resistance. Um, you know, as we've said many times in the past, you know, campaigns are really about two different things. Mm-hmm. It's either time for a change or stay the course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's fundamentally what's going to come up between now and next November. Um, you're going to have a, a race at the top, which is going to be very interesting. And when I say top, meaning, you know, people running for Congress and the Senate, obviously a governor's race. You have to have, I think, legislators and have a tendency. I mean, there's going to be probably 99% re-election factor there. Um, I don't see anybody recruiting new people into the political process. I think everybody's kind of frozen. I think everybody's mm. numb. I think that's the word. I think mm-hmm. there's a numbness out there. I think... Uh, the vice president called it a malaise, but uh, I think it's a numbness. We're, we're just so fragile and numb right now. Just thinking about the political process is something that probably doesn't concern a lot of people. And if anything, they'll just kind of go along with the status quo uh, because they'll, they'll be afraid to make changes. And Republicans, national level or the local level, mm-hmm. have not really offered any alternatives. And so there's nothing really to bite into. There's nothing to look forward to. There's nothing to embrace. Talking with former Governor General, and I had Themis Claritas on last week, and I asked her this question. You well, you've got to turn it up a little bit. It, it seems like, uh, it, it seems pretty clear that uh, there's going to be, and, and, and this is, is historically accurate, right? I mean, there's going to be a turnover in the House and the Senate um, this election. It seems like whatever, the, whatever, right, whatever party has the White House ends up losing during the midterms. That's happened before. It's not, that's not big news. Uh, but you got already 25 or 26 Democrats are not seeking re-election in the House, uh, probably going to go higher. So let, let's assume for a moment that the, the pundits are correct and that there is a, a big Republican wave uh, that takes back the House, takes back the Senate. Does that have coattails, Gov? Does that have coattails even to states? And the reason I ask that is because is if, if you're ever going to run as a Republican for anything, dog catcher, town clerk, whatever you can run. Is this the year to run? Well, the truth is there's really only one competitive federal race in Connecticut, and that's the 5th District. Mm-hmm. All the other races, there's no competition. It's, right. it's, a, it's a given. Um, there's a Senate race, which will probably be another status quo uh, race. So <clears throat> the question becomes, are there enough people in the state of Connecticut that are looking for change? And if they are, do they want... Uh, to elect more Republicans to the state house or the state senate, there's a lot of people that, and this will happen, I think, at the national level. There's a lot of people that want to see, um, you know, kind of a checks and balance. They want mm-hmm. to see maybe more Republicans in the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate to stand off against the Democrat administration, the executive branch. Some people might feel that same way locally, but as you know, all politics is local, mm. and I think you're still going to see a 99% re-election, re-election factor here in Connecticut. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I don't think Republicans have recruited candidates. I mean, you have to get some new blood, some new people, mm-hmm. some new faces. And for the most part, voters know who the candidates are for state rep and state senate. You know, they, they know them in the community. They're a known entity. Mm-hmm. So it may not matter as much whether they're Republicans or Democrats. 
they'll they'll decide whether they like those candidates, whether they're incumbents or whether they're challengers. So I, I don't see coattails. I don't see a rollover effect. I, I still think you're going to see a lot of kind of re-election, same old, same old, um, and one competitive race in the 5th Congressional District. So the 5th District, we've, held, we've had high hopes for, ever since Nancy Johnson, right? Um, I like the candidate running on the Republican side, George Logan. The good guy, was a good state legislator, um, running against uh, Johanna Hayes, big money, big Democrat machine. What do you, how do you see that? I think that's going to be one of the most competitive races in the country. Really? Uh, you're going to see a lot of national focus. Um, if, the, if the House of Representatives is going to become Republican, if they're going to flip over, they're going to need that seat. So there's going to be targets there. And it's going to come down to money. Uh, the sad part of, of what's going on at the national scene mm. is that these members of Congress, they'd have to run every two years. They spend mm. 50% of their time raising money. It's ridiculous. And they spend millions and millions of dollars, special interest groups, political action committees. So it's going to be, it's going to be a money race. And, and who can buy the most ads and, and have the most influence in the campaign? It's the sad but true reality of, of that kind of a campaign. Other candidates that have come close have not been successful because they didn't have the financial resources to get their message out. Right. Yet, there were still some close races. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, yeah, Georgia's a great candidate. I think it's going to be the most competitive race. I'd bet on him. And, really? And okay. I think you know, all the other local races, I'm afraid, are going to pretty much stay the same. Well, the fact that you and I are talking about George Logan, and I can't even tell you who's running on the other side. I can't tell you the other Republican candidate should tell you something, right? I mean, we know who oh, yeah. George Logan is, but seats and, I, mean, I think Blumenthal's up this year. I mean, yeah, that's you know, that's a, that's a given. And again, it comes up to a lot of it comes down to money. I mean, even mm-hmm. Governor Lamont. I mean, he's run a couple of different times before he actually won. Mm-hmm. Um, and he spent a lot of his own money. Yeah. If he'd not had those resources, if Bob Stefanowski didn't have a million dollars up mm-hmm. front when he first started to run, mm-hmm. he wouldn't have mm-hmm. been the candidate. So, Tom Foley put has, a lot of money into it. Yeah, he, you know that's that's the sad reality of these of these statewide campaigns and congressional campaigns. And uh, look at the money Linda McMahon spent for <laughs> two Senate oh, races. She right? spent fifty million dollars twice. <laughs> twice. Wow. And, uh, I still don't know what her what her. Uh, campaign slogan was or what she was campaigning for or against after 50 million dollars each it's become a crazy money game but not so much at the local level yeah yeah um i think um i think there's going to be some swapping i think on the local level i think you're going to see some some changing of the guard with city councils i think you might see some some changing of the guard with mayoral positions uh, I don't think it'll be widespread, but I think there'll be some. I think there'll be a, a net gain when it's all said and done. Um, yeah, as we know in this just this last campaign, uh, it was a big win for Republicans. And again, I think a lot of that was time for a change. I think mm-hmm. there were a lot of people that felt, you know what, uh, it's time for a new selectman, new mayor. Um, even in some of the larger towns, we're predominantly Democrats. Mm-hmm. Uh, the state has changed. The demographics of the entire state have changed. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's become much more dem- democratic, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't, for whatever reasons, maybe it's even age. Because all Republicans are leaving and moving to South Carolina. That's why. Well, I mean, you know from your church, you, you're losing a lot of people that have gone out of state. And yeah. um, so I, it's an interesting dynamic coming into it, but I, I always emphasize all politics is local. Mm-hmm. When we come down to these first selectmen and mayoral races, 
a lot of it is whether people are kind of fed up, whether mm-hmm. they want to see some changes, or whether they're happy with status quo. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I hope I hope we see a couple of changes anyway. I, th- I think you're right, though. I, I don't know that uh, here in Connecticut it will be all that much different, even if on a national level the Republicans do well and, and completely take the House and Senate back. I don't know that we'll, we'd see and that. Don't forget, it was only a handful of years ago. We actually had competitive races in the 5th mm-hmm. District and in yeah. the 4th District. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with, with time, we had, well, that, That's a very significant point. We had six congressional seats. Now we're down to five. We've lost population mm-hmm. compared to the rest of the country. Sure. So we've actually lost a congressional seat. But there was a time where we had, you know, two or three Republican members of Congress for a time out in the second district. Uh, the second district, I, I think, could always be a Republican seat, but there's nobody there. If someone's there ready, ready to write a big check, then I think there's a shot in the second district. Otherwise, forget it. When you served in Congress, did you ever imagine back then that that district would flip to be Democrat? Well, it flipped back and forth. Um, when I ran uh, back in the 80s, mm-hmm. um, we, there was a great guy there, Bill Ratchford. He'd been in for about three terms. Uh, but before that, it was Ron Saracen. So it kind of flipped back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary, Gary Franks was in for a short mm-hmm. while. So you, you, it has gone back and forth because it's a pretty conservative district, although mm-hmm. there's always been a couple of large cities like Waterbury or Danbury and Meriden. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been pretty conservative cities. And uh, if you're a moderate Republican, I think you have a shot uh, in the 5th District. And I think this race is really going to be interesting because uh, because of the national influence. Um, and it's going to be it's going to come down to hard work. If George works hard and mm-hmm. gets out and sees enough people, he can pull it off. He's a great communicator. Gives a heck of a stump uh, a stump speech. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna do well. I'm 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 excited about it. And looking forward to it. Well, hey, thank you so much. Always a pleasure, my my radio benefactor, John. <laughs> <laughs> you burned it. Uh, well, you know, you opened the door for me. I wouldn't be here yeah, if it wasn't you for you. You walked through it, and uh, you you've done a great job. Common sense. That's the name yeah. of the game these days. Common sense, conservative. That's that's what we're talking about here. All right. Uh, hey, uh, give uh, give Patty our love, and uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you again day. soon. John Rowland. All right, we're going to take a break, a couple commercial spots, and then I guess we'll go into the news. And uh, Steve Bucci, next half hour, we're going to talk about some security issues and uh, more of your calls, 800-966-9842-860-522-9842, right here on the Monday edition, week two of the Will Marotti Show. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.